So 10 years ago this month, on September 11, 2005, we held our first Sunday morning service in this brand new building. The service that morning actually took place in the fellowship hall because this room was not quite finished yet. We were doing things, you know, on that tight, everything's an adventure schedule. The fellowship hall really looked beautiful as a worship space, and it was set up so that the pulpit and the stage were over by the big windows looking out into the great grove, which, which was lovely as well. And I faced out towards the congregation, towards the kitchen, along with other people who were on the program that day, and I have been told many times that there was a deer outside and that people were watching that deer. (laughs) And I don't know if they listened to me or not. So when we were designing this space, I I had, ministers think about these kinds of things. I argued for not having a big open window here. (laughs) And I believe I was right to do that. But, and these windows along the top actually were a kind of compromised consensus position among a number of different ideas about where windows should be. That was a big topic of conversation. We ended up with these lovely windows around the top of the sanctuary. We also ended up with this beautiful piece of stained glass, which was practically hidden in the old church. It was up in the choir loft and was hardly visible at all. And the bottom part, where the lilies are, that sort of third of it, was not visible at all because it was behind the choir risers up in the balcony. So I don't think I ever clearly saw the bottom part of this window until we moved into this church. So that, that was like a, a discovery among many other discoveries. So many things happened on the road to that first Sunday, beginning with a call from Methodist Hospital that expressed their desire to purchase our old church home, which was 90 years old at that time, and a place that was much loved. There was a period of two years during which the Long Range Planning Committee, which was chaired by Fred Luchens, who you just heard uh, communicate to us, That group negotiated with the hospital, always telling them that we actually had no authority to make any deal with them whatsoever. We would talk to them, but that we couldn't couldn't do anything. It was only the congregation that could vote. So they knew that all along, that they were negotiating with people who had no authority whatsoever. So at the end of two years, There was a proposal which we took to the congregation, and the congregation had a five-hour meeting. How many of you were at that meeting? Look at this. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. We had a five-hour congregational meeting in the old church, during which there was a tornado warning, (laughs) and we had to all go down in the basement about midway through the meeting and finished the meeting down in the basement. It was quite an amazing process. Uh, Amy Pop came up with a very useful 
uh, voting technique, which I think facilitated the decision-making. And so at the end of five hours and much discussion and soul-searching and voting, the decision was made to build a new building on this Richwoods property. That was the decision there. We started out with six options, and that's the one that held up through the five-hour process. By the way, I want to give you my guarantee that the congregational meeting today will not last five hours. <laughs> you have my word. If it gets up around four, I'm just going to call it off. <laughs> it's so good to hear from Fred and his sense of satisfaction about that. And they did a wonderful job. They really did. Following the five-hour meeting, culminating in a vote to build on this site, a building committee was appointed. And the job of the building committee was to work with the architects to design the building. That was the job of the building. And then see that through. So the, building, uh, the architect that was chosen was Les Kenyon. And I, I just want to uh, bear testimony to Les's work in this church and how much Les loved the old church and so how much of the soul of the old church is here. The placement of the windows, the dome, uh, the dome piece came over even though it's not literally a dome. The organ pipes, the pews are from the old church. They were cut, and the pews you're sitting in may have been cut from the size they were before, especially if you're sitting on the aisle sections. Those pews have probably been recut, and everything was reupholstered. Uh, this furniture that's up here came from the old church. The, the handles, the brass handles on the door when you come in, watch when you go out, those came from the old church. There are bricks in the patio outside that were the same bricks in the patio of the old church. So there are a lot of touches, and I just want to, Les is not with us anymore. He, he was a wonderful person and a wonderful architect, and so I, I want to just express uh, how much I appreciate how he poured his heart and soul in, into this project. And yep, thank you. So this building committee was appointed to work with Les and Larry Davis on his staff to design this building. Well, we drove them crazy, I think, because we had new ideas and, you know, we're very insightful people, as you well know. And so every meeting, there was another idea about changing the design of the church. And Les was very good-natured about that, and he would always have a joke. Yeah, not always, but he often had a joke when he would come in. And often his jokes were pretty corny, but they were good medicine because it kept it on a good keel. And I want to uh, express my appreciation to Martha DeBold, who chaired the building committee. And through her expertise and her organizational savvy and her ability to keep this thing on track at many times when it seemed to be veering off in various directions and bring us to a consensus 
within the congregation and with the architects that this is the space that we wanted. That was a remarkable achievement. So if you were on the building committee, I want you to stand for a moment and Martha, please stand up and let us thank you for the wonderful work that you did there. When the design was finished, Les solicited bids from contractors, and I remember going to his office to hear presentations from the contractors. To our extreme shock, we were three quarters of a million dollars short in the funds to build the building we had designed. And we thought we had been so frugal, too. We were three quarters of a million short. So we just passed the hat one Sunday and that was it. (laughs) Well, not exactly. What we did is after much discussion, we decided to cut $250,000 from the design. We cut a quarter of a million dollars off of what we wanted to do. And that still left a gap of half a million. And we decided to finance that half a million with a capital campaign and ask the congregation to contribute that. And it worked. It happened. We raised that money. Nancy Rakoff was instrumental. Stand up, Nancy Rakoff, in helping us do that. (laughs) Nancy and I and others have had many conversations about this. And what the people I've conversed with, at least, we have come to the conclusion that the shortfall was a good thing that we are, in retrospect, glad that we had to raise a half a million dollars. Because it just makes the whole thing a healthier situation. And it means that we put our commitment into this, and that somehow, I think, enhances the value of this experience and of this building. So I believe this was a good thing that happened, and that we put ourselves on the line to build this project. During the construction, uh, I drove over to this site, not every day, but almost every day, because I couldn't stay away. And I would come over here and I would just see what's going on, what are they doing? What are they doing? And I remember when there was, when there was a hole in the ground, the shape of a church, I remember that. I remember when the foundation went in. I remember watching. I would sit and watch the bricklayers lay bricks. I found that a fascinating process. And you'd see walls just sort of grow like maybe they were plants or something. And uh, it was just so inspiring to me. And I want to mention that somebody in here was doing something else, and that's Ed Murphy. Ed was writing the checks. Ed would write checks for half a million here and a half a million there. So where's Ed? Stand up for a minute. Ed was the treasurer. I never knew you had that money, Ed. So the building was put together by so many wonderful people and so many craftspeople. And I want to tell you a story. I was at 
Judith Peterson's gallery for an open house one night, and there's a wonderful musician in the Peoria area who was playing there that night, Steve Dagenford. I know many of you have probably heard him play. He's a wonderful jazz uh, guitarist. And Steve said, do you know what? He said, I worked for the construction company that built your church, and I put the stain on all the woodwork. So we're connected to all kinds of people in ways that we don't know. So Steve, who many of us know as a wonderful musician, did, did all that, that stain work. And I want to appreciate also the, the part that was not the building but the land, what we were going to do to take care of this land, because this land is a trust for us. And we are so privileged and fortunate to have 15 acres of woodland in the city of Peoria. And I want to thank Maury Brucker and his group of land stewardship for creating that plan and carrying it out to protect and preserve and enjoy this land. Would you be willing to stand up, Maury? The night of our building dedication was really just one of the best celebrations I think I've ever been to. Uh, I don't know if you remember the guest speaker that night. It was Rosemary Bray McNatt, who is now the president of Star King Seminary in Berkeley, California. So she's a mover and a shaker in our denomination. Now, for everyone who was not part of this process and is wondering why they're here this morning, I have an answer to suggest to you. When we built this church, we did it in many ways for ourselves because we wanted to have a beautiful place. We wanted to preserve this tradition. We wanted to get those windows prominently displayed. We wanted space for our children. We wanted all those things. But I want to say to all of you who were not here at that time and have come since. How many of you have come into this church since this new building? I want you to know, yeah, I want you to know that in many ways we built this church for you. You were in our minds. We didn't know who you were. We didn't know what your names would be. We but we knew that we were building this church for those who had come after it was built. And we thought, we talked about you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> we did. We talked about you, and we said, you know, the people who come here are going to need a place to park. And the people who come here are going to need enough seating. And they're going to need uh, a big enough fellowship hall so that we can have a potluck dinner with them and that when we come, we'll welcome them. And they're gonna need space for the kids. We're gonna need space for these kids because these kids are gonna come here and we've gotta be ready when, when they walk in the door. So we, we discussed those of you who have come. And I just want you to know that, that you were in our minds, even though we didn't know exactly who you would be. And we still don't know this morning who, who else will be here. But we were thinking about you. So you were part of this story. We wanted to have a church that would be active. 
And we often talked about how we wanted to have a church that would be active all week long. And you know what? That happened. (laughs) That happened uh, very intensely. And so we're glad about that, but it's increased the activity level tremendously, and we've had to respond to that. So we did things like starting the covenant circles, which I just talked about, which are ways for people to get together in small groups, because when an institution gets bigger, sometimes people feel not as connected, and so that's why, why we created the covenant circles, so people could get together in smaller groups and get to be friends. We added some wonderful, dedicated staff. We created the covenant statement and the mission statement and the goals and the vision, uh, those exercises in placing words on our sense of identity have been what I always like to call surprisingly meaningful. Surprisingly, because you don't necessarily know that that kind of work is going to pay off. But our mission statement and our covenant and our vision and our goals have really helped create an identity here and a sense of purpose and a sense of what we're doing. They have helped us to grow into this new space and become a dynamic and caring community. So this, seriously oversimplified, is the story of how we came to be here. I mean, this is horribly over. There's so much more to tell, and we need to find other opportunities to tell that. We have some charts on the wall out there. Take a look at those charts leading into the fellowship hall. Rick Rowley's got them uh, prepared so that we can look at them electronically, too, and they tell the story in a lot more detail. So take a look at them. And you will be able to see those charts as you pass on your way to a meaningful lunch and a delicious meeting. (laughs) I guarantee it. It's a great story, and it's not over yet. The story of this community goes back 172 years into the past, and if the goddess is willing, many more years into the future. We are still somewhere in the middle of the story. Somewhere in the middle. Fred Luchin said in his message to us that the process our church followed, though sometimes difficult and trying, is a model of how healthy congregations can function. I hope he is right. I do know that we are living in times where the viability of human communities to live together, to coexist in peace with each other, and with the larger family of nature is truly in question. It is not clear whether we as a species will be able to find that sweet spot where life can be lived in peace. We don't know the answer to that question yet. That question is being played out right now. I do believe that our church and many other caring communities in the world existing all over our planet, are in a way test cases to see if real, deeply satisfying community can be created and sustained by human beings in relationship with each other and other beings. So our story of a community with a long and exciting history 
encountering new opportunities and seeking to expand itself, both physically and spiritually, is part of a much larger human story. We're one little piece of this big human story that's unfolding. Even though we're far from perfect, we are on the path of trying to find a sense of deep connection with each other and doing our best to extend that sense of connection out into the world, out into the wider community. This river city, this precious land, this country seeking peace and justice, this world filled with challenges that truly will require all of our common and cooperative effort. So I think our story, our individual piece of the whole story, takes on increased meaning if we view ourselves as part of a larger movement to create a peaceful and sustainable life on this planet. The great wheel of life threw us a magnificent opportunity, and to our credit, we seized the moment and created something beautiful even though there was a sense of loss in that creation, which generally is the case. But we have a tremendous responsibility that goes with our good fortune. We need to be good stewards of our opportunity. We need to use our opportunity for the cause of love and justice and truth. Interestingly enough, that also turns out to be the most interesting and exciting path to follow. So let the congregational meetings come, because we know we can find a way through those issues. Let the table be set. We know how to enjoy the full joy and meaning of the welcome table. Let our friends and neighbors come through our doors. We know how to welcome everyone without falling into the ancient trap of thinking that some are worthwhile and some are not. And may we be so fortunate to have opportunities to build and grow and extend ourselves. May our fortune be good, but even if it is not, may we still be committed to being a force for good in the world. Embracing freedom, loving inclusively, growing spiritually, and healing our world. That is our mission, and it will keep us deeply engaged for years to come. That path will lead us where we need to go. So may it be.